Energy Talk. Hello and welcome to the Energy Talk podcast. My name is Olubumi Olajide and this is episode three of our series on renewables in Africa. I'm really grateful that you're joining us again because today we have Habiba Hali, who is the managing director of Sose Energy. And she does really excellent work in the rural regions in northern Nigeria. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about how she first found this mission that she's embarked on for over a decade now. And during this episode, we, we, we go under the hood about the operations and we talk a lot about the, the challenges involved. There is this excellent video that I saw that was produced by Heartpin and directed by Already Alive for the Global Leadership Awards, which Habiba was selected as an honoree in 2019. And it's narrated by a little girl speaking Hausa, and it tells the story of Abiba's team coming into a community to provide solar home systems and clean cooking stores. And even in that video, it shows her engaging with the community and providing information about climate change and its impact on the environment. <laughs> It's such a fantastic video. It's going to be in the show notes of the episode and I highly recommend you check it out. It's so excellent being able to speak with somebody like Habiba and talk about the fantastic work that she's doing. And now I get to share that story with you. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And of course, don't forget to share with a friend and a colleague. And yeah, let's learn about Habiba's background and the excellent work that her and her team are doing at Society Energy. My name is Habiba Ali. I am the founder and now managing director of Sose Renewable Energies Company, a company I founded 10 years ago simply because I found a problem that um, I could identify with personally and I thought um, we need to find a solution to this problem, which was the problem of people having indoor air pollution and, and you know, getting to understand that for every two hours you stayed by a kerosene lantern, you were smoking an equivalent of two packs of cigarettes. So that really scared me and I thought, oh, if my mom and I and my siblings had actually walked in at my mother's um, roadside restaurant and we had smoked all of these cigarettes, then somebody had to do something about it. And that was the reason we ventured into Sose. And I started it 10 years ago and we're 10 years old now. We've met Tamo Forst from selling solar lanterns to doing one of the biggest um, improved stove projects under the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change CDM project, done a number of USADF projects and communities deploying solar home systems, mini grids, um, solar dryers, and solar kiosks. Thank you for that brief introduction. And uh, you mentioned a bit about your experiences growing up. Could you just go a bit deeper on it? Like, what, what were the key issues that, that you kind of identified growing up and in the communities that you were in that led to Socia really coming to life? Well, the thing is, like I said earlier, my mother owned and ran a roadside food restaurant. And in that roadside food, food restaurant, we helped her to cook and sell as well. We cooked on open fires by the light of a kerosene lantern when it got late. And, you know, it was our reality, it was what we knew. But then my parents also insisted on education, which is, I think, one of the things that took us out of that. Once we all started going to school and being able to, you know, get jobs and everything, of course, my mom had to stop the roadside restaurant besides the fact that she had health issues as well. I also lost my sister and I don't know, it was also complications of all sorts. And so, yeah, that was one of the reasons that, it really drove me to feel there must be a solution to this because we can't also not be sure if, if we're losing people from indoor air pollution or not. 
And then my father was a policeman who got severally transferred to rural communities. And because of that, I had the affinity to rural areas. I understood them. I like what they do. I am, you know, I, I like the life there. I was, I, I, I am able to live with them. So it was easy when the work really got deep. I, I, I started going into communities to, to, to sell these products. It made it easier for me because I could identify with that as well. And uh, when did the transition to entrepreneurship start? Did you get out of school and immediately start the company or was it something that you gradually grew into as your career progressed? Well, you know, we founded an NGO and the NGO was to actually um, tell people more about renewable energy. This was in 2005 and people didn't really know much about renewable energy. So we thought our work was going to help people uh, you know, understand renewable energies better and appreciate its use. So we started doing that NGO. But with time, when I found out about this whole indoor air pollution, we got the UNFCCCC project under the NGO. But well, my major concern was we were only doing improved cookstoves. And as much as this was interesting, someone had to also take care of the lighting situation. So finding this out at that um, forum made me realize someone had to do something about getting appropriate lighting and then, um, you know, reliable one there. So for me, I was looking at it as a business. I was looking at it more like I have, there's a problem and I have a solution. How could I ensure that people who needed those solutions could actually use them well? And that's how it started. So I started sharing with women and women were helping me to send it to other women. And it just kept growing like that. And that's how it just became a business. And the more I grew in it, the more I realized that I needed to do more. That, that's very powerful motivation. And what was the inspiration behind the name and what were the initial challenges you faced in the first few years? Well, the name for me was simply, if you want to do something in life, you have to do it well, right? And the simple meaning of how so say in Hausa is very well. Yeah, anybody you ask will tell you very well. But it could also translate into excellence. It could also translate into integrity. And I remember one of the guys that I started work with and that was helping me to do the baseline studies, due diligence for the improved cook stove project we later did at Sose also helped me to get a project from the Arthur Guinness Fund, this deploying water filters across communities. And he told me when the filter started having a few of the first few filters started having issues, he said, no, we have to return the whole shipment because you want product one. I can, I will never forget those words. You want product one to deliver and do as well as product hundred thousand. So you don't want to start spoiling your name now in these early stages because that's what's going to live with your name forever. And that really, really got to me. And when I think about it and I really, I don't know why, but I just thought, I'm very pro-African and yeah, and I was living in the North. I was born and brought up in Kaduna and I just thought, well, you know what, why not Suse, you know, because Suse really sounds like it's something I want to do with integrity, do it, do it very well as well. Challenges in the beginning, there were lots. Yeah. At that time, maybe because of the kind of resilient nature that I have, I didn't see them as problems more like, but they were like just challenges that I was going to overcome. Like there was no doubt about overcoming it at all. So when I had the challenges like the customs problems where my first shipment of never got to me on time, it took about nine months to get to me. It was just like, okay, maybe that's how it is, you know. And then I also remember that I, I had issues with um, registration of the company. 
a friend's husband had to come and go into it and he helped me to sort that out. And so, yeah, it was it was then after a few years of running the business and it was all the necessary registrations for before the you know, government requirements and everything. So yeah, by the time I was done with all that and then also even getting the customers to, you know, appreciate the product that you're selling, understand why the pricing had to be so so high and all of that. So yes. But then yeah, we overcame them and we're still traveling. It's not like all of the problems are gone, but all challenges are gone. But yeah, I mean that that it comes with the with the space, right? I think one of the biggest advantages you've had, I think it's still playing out right now, is your ability to get so close to the um, communities that you're serving. And um, how key has that been to the growth of your company and really pushing you forward? Well, it's very, very important. It's it's very, very important that you have a relationship with the people in the communities because as you know how Nigeria is, trust is a huge issue, right? So if you want to be trusted, if you want to have a good like you know, traction with the community people, you then need to understand how to relate with them so that they can trust you. Trusting you is very key. And so for us, it's it's always been a very good idea that the people know us we speak their language i'm a woman i can talk to their wives and so that really has helped us in everything that we're doing and so yes we we have community leaders who still speak about us and how they worked with us and everything so it's it's really been not a smooth ride but a good one because we have that relationship and how does the relationship factor really, really, really play in when you are scaling? So as associate has grown over the years, has, has that become something that um, has become more difficult to have that connection with the communities? Or is that still something that that's a very key factor and it's, it's still very easy to implement and get as close? It's still very key. I mean, as much as it's also very th- tedious and, you know, hard to to catch up because the communities are getting more. But it's always good to have that, even if it is the first engagement with the communities, let them understand that they are dealing with human beings and that these human beings are actually feeling their problems. So I try to make sure that all of my people, my team members understand the core of what we do, which is how we relate with the people, the humanity behind it, that, that aspect of living a day in the life of a customer and everything. So, yeah. That is still key. It's still something we, we take seriously and we try to make sure happens. And uh, what, what about in the, in the early days? How, how was it like? I don't know if you have any specific stories that have stuck with you over the years of going and engaging with the community and trying to introduce your products and explain the benefits. What were the experiences like and how, how did you really walk through that and really get to like the end and really be able to say that, okay, we've, we've actually had impact here. So how, how, how was that measured in the early days? And do you have any stories that you can share with us about that? Well, in the early days, the truth of the matter is that how we found the communities was we, we had a list of the Nigerian Population Commission's um, wards and all of that. And the closest you can get to any community is actually the ward level. So when we started, we would pick up like, you know, wards that seem to be around the same area and we'll visit and we'll meet with the ward head have a discussion with him, tell him, share, share with them what we had, you know, show the products, even sometimes even try it out in front of the word head and his immediate, you know, let me say chamber heads or, you know, council heads. And once we did that and they bought into it, they immediately planned a date with us that we could actually meet with the whole community. So we take that opportunity to share experiences, show how the products work, light up some things, 
And then it's always like an interesting event where people are very happy to attend, especially when you're cooking. There's that thing about attraction to the to the food, the smell of the food. And so by the time we do that, immediately you start seeing people come. They now start looking at the table we have set up with products and they start buying. And we then find a woman in that community who can be our distributor. And we immediately go through our recruitment processes with the women. And once we find a good one, a good match, we then tell the people that this is the person who is going to going forward to sell our products. One of the communities that we've been at, the village head actually said he didn't want us to work with any woman. He would rather handle it all because he was very concerned about, and that was in Hong Kui, he was very concerned about people defaulting and that becoming a problem. And he did, he said it categorically that he didn't want us to leave that community at any time and feel that his people are not trustworthy. So he wanted to make sure that was, uh, and that was that the time we were actually deploying stoves more. So for all everybody that took a stove, he was the one that had the least. He followed up, he made sure people paid and we left that community without one person owing us. And up till tomorrow, whenever we have things to do with community-wide engagements, we really like that guy because he's very stoic, he's very, you know, focused and is also like living a value that we also do like, which is the integrity part. That's really fantastic. And just on that point, because you mentioned a lot of the community heads are, are obviously men. Have you had any challenges being uh, a female co-founder of this initiative and really pushing it forward? Has that, has that really been something that you've had to hand over the years? No, I've not had an issue with being a woman in the North because, yeah, of course, yeah, sometimes you, you could sense that probably the person doesn't feel very comfortable because they are feeling like, why is he a woman? But when you come from the angle of the cook stoves, he's like, okay, yeah, now it's, it's their thing, it's the women's thing, right? But then it's also good. We, we like coming from the angle of the cook stoves simply because of that, so we can win them over. And when you start talking bigger things, a sense of respect just comes over them. And they're like, wow, you're a woman and you're doing like mini greets, um, you know. And sometimes they, some of them, of course, do feel intimidated. Like, why would a woman be the one doing this? And, you know, they want to look down on you and say all sorts. But then with time, they also like, well, if, if she has the opportunity and the drive to help us solve this problem, why not, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's how it works. And something very interesting you mentioned as well was how you, when you go to communities, you try to find women to act as distributors and and recruit them from the communities that you're serving. Has that been a, a very vital part of society from the very beginning to look for opportunities to uplift women as well and to give them other opportunities to develop themselves and basically be able to be more economically stable in the communities they're in? Well, for us, women are especially in the north are very hard to work with I, I must tell you that at the beginning you are when you come there and you try to introduce what the pro- program is about why you want women to be part of it and everything you see you have like 100 and something women all rushing who oh, want to be part of this who don't want to be left out but I think in the north uh, women have been so pampered that they do not understand that everything that you want needs some kind of responsibility also as well you know so yeah by the time they start seeing it's work it's actually not not a ride or a free ride or a free lunch you need to work and unfortunately most ngos and international organizations also do projects in the north that women have gotten things for free so it's also a bit of a difficulty when they they tend to see that wow they have to work to make the money and then it becomes a lot of them pull out but the serious ones stay back 
So whenever we see 100 women, we're not scared anymore. Before, we say, no, 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 we want only 10. But now we let the 100 join because in that 100, we might be able to find five. So, yeah, it's like I say always about challenges. It's just challenges, right? It doesn't mean you can't go on. You, you, keep, you keep at it until you win. A lot of young people are coming into the renewable energy space, especially in the African setting. And do you, do you have any um, initiatives that you engage with young people? And what advice do you have for specifically um, entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs who want to find their space in renewable energy and really contribute to the growth of rural communities and also to the clean energy space? Well, for me, there's nothing that you want to do in life that you shouldn't try. I mean, and most of us learn from experiences. So if anybody is interested in the renewable energy space and wants to join, I mean, please come. There's still a lot of room for everybody to join. And, you know, I always say that um, we all, even if we all light our candles, we can never bright the, brighten the world. So we need more people lighting their candles and um, actually getting into this space to help with this whole energy situation. What initiatives do we as to say have? We have initiatives, but mostly it's targeted at the people in the rural communities because that's where our strengths are. So we train artisans to be the ones who redistribute our products and do installations, you know, and also can do first level troubleshooting for the systems when they start acting up in case they act up. But at least to install them, you know, especially the home care, we need people closer to the people. So those ones, we recruit artisans in the community who are mostly young boys, really. Of course, you know, in the North, women are kind of um, sheltered, sort of, or believed to be sheltered. But so they don't take on jobs that mean, okay, maybe climbing a ladder, going into on the roof or going up to hang lights and stuff like that. So of course it's not like it's zero. You can't find, you can find, but it's um, also very rare. So we recruit um, young men to do that. When we're doing this cook stove project, we had over 160 artisans who were rebuilding the stoves in across the communities. So that was also a good one. My advice to people coming into the sector is be focused, be resilient, and you know, don't don't look at it like a sector where you're coming coming to make money. It's not yeah, money is very important, but it's also work. So it's not gonna give you money like immediately if you don't put in the work. Like, you don't want to come in and just start thinking, okay, yeah, they say renewable energy is the oil money now and you want to start making money just like that. I mean you need to put in the work as well, right? And also be able to Put your head down and learn, yeah? A lot of these young men these days or young women these days come in thinking, oh, I've read it up, I can do it, you know. But forgetting that there are people in the space who can actually show you the ropes. And so they are not willing to learn. They just want to, you know. I, I think you should take on internships, understudy people, and just be humble about the whole thing generally. That's very well said. And kind of as a, a final question here. What has been the most rewarding experience you've had running, so say, and interacting with rural communities and doing your work? Well, my most rewarding moments have always been the times when my community people say, thank you so much for what you've done for us. We are praying for you in the mosque. That, that for me is one thing. I told them one time that you guys just got me by saying that now I want to do more for you. you know? So for me, that's been my most rewarding because I just feel that if people feel so appreciative and tell you we're praying for you that's that's like you know a big a big reward people are happy because of you for me it's 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 the ultimate and i, I am very proud of that thanks for listening to the energy talk podcast you can find us on all podcast listening platforms just search for the energy talk 
send us an email to at energytalkpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>